You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject coming up for your listening pleasure is the one and only, one of the greatest guitarists in modern rock and heavy metal. It's none other than Marty Friedman. Now, the reason for the chat is to promote the four shows that he's playing in Australia in December, and I'll read out some dates. On the 11th, he's playing in Sydney. Thursday the 12th is in Brisbane. I will do what I can to get to that show. I certainly do not want to miss it. Friday the 13th, Melbourne. And finally, Canberra. You've got a show. It's unusual to see a show there, but there you go. Really enjoyed this conversation, as you can probably imagine. Gosh, we've had so many wonderful guests over the last three or four months or so on the show that sometimes I just don't think it can get any better. And then you just talk to somebody like Marty. So what can I say? Have a listen to what he's got to say. We dive deep into some Megadeth and a few other things as well. Hope you enjoy it. Here he is, Marty Friedman. Hello, mate. Andy McKay-Smith calling. How are you? Hey, nice to meet you, Andrew. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, very good, mate. I'm all the better for talking to you, I must say. Uh, You're one of those fellows. Now, I've done a lot of interviews at this point, well over 450, but I don't know if I've listened to anybody's guitar playing than, more than yours or Jakey Lee's over the last 35 years or so. So it's always a thrill. Thank you so much. No worries, mate. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a real thrill to chat to somebody whose music helped you go to sleep, helped me warm, warm up for football <laughs> games, you know, all the rest of it. But I guess I'd start off with my first question around that. I mean, you must hear that a lot because you, you're massively influential and you're probably the greatest guitarist that ever played in a thrash band. That's my, a view that I have and a lot of other people uh, share with me. But you must get a lot of feedback around adulation and your wonderful guitar playing. Well, you never get tired of uh, hearing that people are enjoying what you're doing. So, uh, uh, yeah, I have to just thank you for that, and I'm nothing but flattered. Um, just uh, you never get tired of uh, that. You know, of course... I know what all of my weaknesses are, and I know all the things that uh, I lack and all the things that uh, need to uh, be addressed, and um, no one else needs to know them, but uh, uh, as long as I don't uh, let what people say give me a big head, I think I'm in good shape, <laughs> and I just always always appreciate hearing that people enjoy it. That's really uh There's nothing better than that, and, is, uh, and that's, that's all I can really say to that. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, I don't know whether this is, it certainly isn't your first visit to Australia, but correct me if I'm wrong here, I think this might be your first visit to Australia in December in Solo Geese. Okay, so you got... That's right, it is. There you go. So you've got it four is. shows, and obviously I'm going to do, uh, God, I've got kids these days and all sorts of other commitments, so it's hard for me to get out, but you're definitely one gig that I don't want to miss, that's for sure, because you're playing in Brisbane on the uh, th- on Thursday the 12th. But, you know, I don't, I don't know how many how much music you've got out there in the market, but you must be approaching somewhere near triple figures in terms of the availability in your catalogue. So how on earth do you mine appropriate cuts out of this enormous catalogue of work that you've got for a tour to Australia? Well, it just helps from touring a lot. I've been touring with this band for years and years um, and doing solo tours since uh, about 2002. So uh, hmm. it's uh, that's like 17 years of touring. So you start to figure out the best way a set moves and it's uh, it's one big show it's not just uh featuring this single or featuring this song or featuring that you got to think in terms of uh you know a two-hour show and mm. how to bring people on your you know on your trip you know you got to start them off and you got to lead them somewhere and you got to make them feel like 
they're leaving with something really positive and leaving with a lot of energy and the way I like to feel when I go to a concert and I really enjoy it, you know, it's not an accident how the, how the artist chooses that set list. Mm -hmm. It comes from a lot of judging the way people respond to certain kinds of songs and, uh, also having a pretty decent amount of sense when it comes to, uh, where to bring the things down and where to bring it to like a warp speed and, mm -hmm. and where to let people chill out and, you know, so the more you do that, the more you tour, you kind of get it. And for me, my stuff is instrumental, so I don't have the lyrics to uh, let people think about. So I have to be the singer out there on guitar. And and that's the biggest challenge or the biggest goal that I have. And the biggest compliment that I get that I enjoy the most when people see us live is a uh, that they, they would say, oh, I didn't miss a singer at all. I never knew an instrumental show could be this wild or this fun or this mm. crazy. And and that's pretty much the goal because uh, just even the words instrumental concert kind of <laughs> brings a cring cringing factor that uh, is, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, absolutely. But for my taste in concert going, for my own mm. personal taste, it's not something that... Uh, that name of that genre doesn't particularly um, make me want to run out and go to a concert. So bearing that in mind, I have to make my own concert not fit that genre title. And I think uh, um, when you see us live, you'll know what I mean. Or if you mm -hmm. listen to uh, the live album that we just released called One Bad MF Live, yep. um, you'll get that idea that, uh, you know, it's really not just about a recital of playing our songs for you it's it's more about getting the people actually involved in the show i mean the people in the audience are actually literally a part of the show at a lot a lot of times um we get you know we get them involved in the actual songs and you can hear that all over the record and sometimes we even just drag people out from the concert and from the audience up on stage to play with us it's really a, <laughs> there's a lot of guitar players at the show so there's really no yeah. lack of yeah guys that uh, would just love to come up there and play and sometimes it's just magical moments happen so uh there's a lot of anything that can anything can happen and a lot of a lot of uh things that you don't really expect when you hear the instrumental concert indeed yeah you're not wrong about that one there but i've watched enough of the uh fan posted youtube videos to know that there's a hell of a lot going on and when we talk about a hell of a lot going on, you've probably got about one of the best, I don't like to call them a backing band, but you know what I'm saying. Your name's out the front. They're the people that are up on stage alongside of you. How do you... How no, do I gotcha. I gotcha. I mean, I don't yeah. call them a backing band either. Um, and, uh, you know, I wish I didn't have to use my name um, because it's so much of a band that they, sh they outshine me every night. I mean, uh, my band members are just, you know, really, you're going to leave the concert kind of impressed by them more than me you know <laughs> and that's the way i like it yeah um, i just really uh, i want it to be a four-cornered diamond and um it just happens to be that we're playing the songs that i wrote but uh my band is really really gonna shine for you how, how does somebody like at your position where you could virtually play with anybody how do you go about selecting musicians is it the old pink floyd thing where you know, I, th I can't remember the, the quote out there from David Gilmour, but it was something around the lines of a good player you can find anywhere, but a good wit is really hard to find. So are you almost selecting people based on their personalities at this point? A good what is hard to find? 
a good wit, someone who's funny. Wit, um, uh, uh, well, the um, over his overall statement is something I completely agree with. I'm not really looking for wit so much. Um, um, there actually aren't a lot of people who can play what's required for my music. Mm. Um, and okay. the ones who can, then they have to go to a kind of more important requirement. I mean, they can't look like they work in a bank. You know, they yeah. can't look like they sell storm windows for a living, which there are a lot, believe it or not, there are a lot of really, really super musicians out there. Um, but they just don't look the part and don't have that killer instinct in in their bodies yeah um and so that's the that's uh you know that uh, that's uh what's the word i'm looking for that's a deal breaker you know what yeah. i mean so um uh it's very very hard to find the right people for my band and since i found them i really don't want to mess with the formula mm. but i do know a few people all around the world who have done certain shows with me and who are able to fit into my band. There's one guy, um, totally capable of playing my music and we toured Europe once, I think in like 2013, 14 or something, super, super guitarist. But the problem with this guy was he looked like a male model. I mean, he was so perfectly good looking <laughs> and just, dressed awesome and he just like looked too good and that's almost kind of like a, a a deal breaker but the guy was really really good enough to play the music and, and did a great job on tour but ideally you don't want to have someone in the band who looks better than the guy whose name is on the marquee <laughs> but yeah. uh, i love that guy very much and i hope we can play again sometime but uh it, it's like david gilmore said i mean there's a lot of people who can play it but there's little things that uh that uh, that you choose, you know, you want to, you have to live with these people, and uh, yes, yeah, and and I and with my band, I don't want it to be like you said, I don't want it to be a backing band. I want it to be the band, and and you'll know what I mean when you see us play. Mm -hmm. You'll 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 hear me play, and then you'll start looking at my bass player Kiyoshi, and and you'll forget that I'm even oh, yeah. there. So that that's how I want it. Yeah, I'm a bassist, and she's very bloody impressive. Let me tell you, well, there there are a lot of really good female Japanese players. Is there something over in the water over there at the moment? Because, gosh, I've just noticed them. They, they could almost out-flee, flee some of these players that I'm hearing. Uh, well, you know, there's there's a couple there's a couple here in Japan, but Kiyoshi's level, hmm. there's only, I don't know any other females that are at that level. And um, especially I've been touring with her for several years now, and she just fits perfectly into my hmm. band. And uh, I think, what it is with bass anyway since you're a bassist you'll totally relate to this um there's a lot of guys who can play those fancy funk grooves and yeah. those the slapping things and the fancy stuff and um kiyoshi can do all that like in her sleep but the reason why she got the gig was the way she plays her straight eights okay. um, she a lot of my songs are straight eights all the way through there's like absolutely no bass acrobatics but there's a lot of changes to remember and there's yeah. a lot of key changes and there's a lot of very odd um chord structures that don't follow the typical um chord structures of rock music mm -hmm. it, it's almost like 
Disney type of chord structures, but played in an extremely aggressive fashion. So you have to remember a lot of chords that don't necessarily go together if you've been playing rock your whole life. Yeah, yeah. But the way you but the way you have to play them is all straight eights. And no one, I've never heard a bassist in my career play straight eights like Kiyoshi. There's so much force behind them and hmm. so much perfect timing. And that's why she got the gig. And we, I remember she actually auditioned for the gig and and um I was just my jaw was on the floor. I've never heard any I've never even heard guitar players play straight eight, straight eights the way she does. And, yeah. and, you know, when you play that stuff live and you hear the straight eights that are kind of lifting you up as you play, it just feels so good. And, um, yeah, I, I really, uh, I want everybody to check that out when, when, when we're playing just that straight eights, you don't hear, you definitely don't hear it in instrumental music much, but it's all in my music. And, and, uh, Kiyoshi is the, I want to say the king of that stuff, but she's the queen of it. <laughs> I know what you mean, yeah. I just want to cast your mind back. I've already mentioned the vast catalogue of work from which you could draw material. But, you know, you had um, – I got into Cocophony big time. Uh, Speed Metal Symphony is one of my favourite al- – actually, Go Off, sorry, is one of my favourite albums of all time. Then, of course, there's the stuff that you did in Megadeth, which I think gave you the global prominence. So I think it's probably fair to say that. You know, but then, of course, sure. you, you've got – double the amount that I think anybody realizes of the solo material and the first time I really dove in, dove into your your solo material is on True Obsessions an album that I truly love again so I guess my Thank question you very much yeah no worries yeah. and will you be playing much material off True Obsessions and go off or any oh uh, wow let me think um we haven't decided the set list yet um I have a show in uh I have a festival in Osaka and I'm going to be trying some stuff, but it's kind of a unique festival. So it's probably going to be very different from what's going on in Australia. Um, mm. Never played go off stuff live in a solo concert. I don't believe mm. I've played some stuff off speed metal symphony before, and I've played stuff off true obsessions. Actually, um, I've played Rio off that and I've played farewell off that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Um, True Obsession is, is not an album that I've played a whole lot of stuff live before. Mm-hmm. But um, we did some shows in Tokyo where I played a couple songs off of it for the first time ever. And uh, cool. I quite enjoyed it. So it's it's not off the table. Um, still, it's, it's a two-hour concert, and I've got 14 albums, 14 solo albums out. So uh, Yeah, that's right. Heaps. <laughs> You've got heaps of material it's to draw gonna from. Be, it's going to be kind of a... Uh, you know, but the whole concept of putting together a set list is is really to keep the audience involved. And, um, you know, I'm not really a singles artist, so I'm not uh, out trying to push any singles. So it's really about um, making the whole experience kind of a best of type of thing and, and something that leaves everybody feeling like, wow, I received a lot of energy from being in here in this room tonight you know that's Mm. that's how i like to feel when i go to a gig yeah great yeah hey does your you know this is gonna this is gonna sound like an interesting question so bear with me through the whole question the whole point of the question but does does your enduring popularity with so much with such a diverse cross-section of society surprise you and what i mean by that is 
I listened to the Jamie. I listen to Jamie Jaster's podcast a lot. He's he's a fantastic podcaster. You were interviewed by him. One of my favourite podcast episodes, of course, is the one that you were on there. But you must Thank know you. that that Jamie has you know a hardcore background, a, a death like more like a death metal hardcore style background. That's the music that he loves, and indeed, so do many of the people. Who, so do a lot of the people who listen to that podcast series. But does it surprise you that a guitarist such as yourself? I get that you played in Megadeth, but you're really a very you're a beautifully melodic player. You really just know all of the notes and all of the modes, and you really just feel like with you, when you listen to you, you're listening to someone who has a real command of the instrument melodically. But does it, su- does it surprise you that all these real ultra-hardcore heavy metal people love your playing? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, you know, Like I said before, I'm just flattered, and um, I kind of just move on. I don't really think about it. Uh, I'm flattered when anybody you know, likes anything I've done, whether it be music or a non-musical thing. Hmm. Um, I can't really dwell on it and can't really analyze it. And, you know, I'm just flattered. And, um, but what they do here in Japan, which is really weird and I don't really like to get into it so much, but, uh, when you play a show, oftentimes they will send, they will put a questionnaire Hmm. at the venue. And when people leave or when they buy merch, they get a questionnaire and they fill it out. And it's got all kinds of questions. You know, what song do you like best? What song do you really want him to play? What What do you like about Marty's music? What about the concert? What did you think about it? What could be better? Um, oh God, yeah. What, is this Sounds the like first an Uber time? Would, it's really, really insane, and it's long, and there's a lot of deep questions, and I really don't like to look at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the, my manager looks at that and takes it very, very seriously. Um, because it's a business and they want to, you know, do better next time. And I get that. Mm-hmm. But I think um, from my side, the artist guy, I mean, I, I, I just don't like to dwell on it too much either way. I mean, if someone's really enjoying what I do, I, I don't want to get a big head about it. And if someone doesn't like what I do, I don't want that to uh, shape the yeah. way I try to create what I do next. Because luckily, fortunately, up until now, I've pretty much just done whatever the hell it is I want to do and whoever wants to come along for the ride, it's been great, you know, and Mm. it's kind of eclectic. I mean, my music is not straight down the mainstream, you know, alley or anything, but it's been exactly what I want it to be. And, you know, I've never really taken anyone's opinion too terribly serious when it comes to what I do next. So, uh, Mm. you know, so to get to your question, it's really, I'm basically flattered and, and um, sometimes I'm a little bit surprised, um, but um, not really anymore. Is people <laughs> people have open minds nowadays? You know, people yeah. have very very open minds, and um, yeah. and people's record collections or you know what's in their Spotify or whatever. However, they listen to music, it's much more varied than it was when uh, uh, you know we were 15 and all we listened to was metal and metal only. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, can I ask you a question about Megadeth? I've, I've always wanted. To, I've had a good chat to Dave Ellison in the past, and he's a lovely guy like yourself, mate. Very easy to talk to, like you are, mate. And and what, I didn't ask him this question. I meant to, so I hope I can ask you this question here. But I always felt as though a lot of the tracks that were on Hidden Treasures should have been turned into, or if you like, I know they're on an EP or an album or what have you. But the direction that those songs went in, like Ninety Nine Ways to Die, it had to be probably my favourite heavy metal song ever. And um, you're playing on that. Your solo on that is one of the key reasons that I love your playing. But I really felt like as though Euthanasia was an album that um, didn't sound how it should have. 
the production was very bone dry and I think it, it, a lot of the playing sounded a bit thin when I knew it wasn't like that because I'd heard and seen enough of the videos of you guys performing back then to know you were a menace of a heavy metal band and just don't think it was reflected fairly on album. But is it? Do, do you share my opinion that a lot of the cuts like Angry Again, 99 Ways to Die, hinted at the future direction that maybe Dave Mustaine should have gone instead of that sort of that radio-friendly fl- flavour that he decided to turn his hand to with euthanasia. And, and by the way, I love cryptic writings, so I'm not shitting on cryptic writings or risk at all when I say that. I just feel like euthanasia was the album that was the real was the real um, dead spot, if you don't mind me saying it. And all those other songs that were released around it are just so much better. And I hope I can ask you that question, mate, if you don't mind, because it's uh, something I've always you wanted can, to ask. You can definitely a- ask. I wish I could give you a better answer. Um, um I have absolutely no idea what's on that record right now. Um, I haven't heard it since then. I know it's a compilation. Um, uh, at the time, I just thought all this stuff was just great, and it was exactly what we wanted to do. And and I don't think anybody was unhappy with anything. So uh, mm. um, as, as always, the fans look way deeper into it than the people who are yeah, putting yeah. it out, yeah. but um, that's something I'm extremely grateful for, and it's very flattering, um, especially with all the time that's passed since there. So since then, so when I hear you asking me a detailed question like that, I really feel bad that I can't give you an answer that's going to satisfy you oh, no um, to yeah. those details. But uh, I, at at the time, I thought all of that stuff was just fine. Um, I haven't listened to it probably since we played it live usually even even with my own records since then you work so hard on a record sometimes for years on material months and months and months and years then finally finally thing gets done it's done and um yep. then you have to play a lot of that stuff for years and years after that so what happens is you you don't listen to the actual record maybe ever again Mm. Um, because you're hearing it for that whole tour and every single in-store, it's in the background and every, you know, you just, it's just work. So, um, you don't really listen to a lot of that stuff again. So, and especially now I've, I've been out of the band for 20 years now. So, and plus, however, whenever those things were released, so I really couldn't, uh, give you anything better than I think, uh, ask anybody in the band at the time and we would have just said it's the best that we could do and we like it so yeah fair enough <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough hey I've, have i got time for one more question or have you got to head off yeah well you can get one more in there wonderful okay you've done a lot you've achieved a lot we've already spoken about in some detail your global adulation but what's been the greatest challenge that you've faced as an artist um always doing something new without re- repeating myself Mm, good one. And yeah. uh, that's that's the biggest challenge and the hardest challenge, but it's been the same exact challenge ever since I started making records. So I'm so completely used to it that it just is very natural. And in, I'm just very happy that I'm able to continue doing that. And um, and what I'm trying to say is I, it's, um, it's kind of the reason why I've taken a break since my wall of sound album mm-hmm. um inferno was an extreme piece of work and i was extremely happy with it i thought i could never ever top it and then um 
I had to make another record and there were time constraints and tours coming up and I thought I couldn't do it, but I actually did it and it really, really busted my ass. I worked so hard on Wall of Sound mm-hmm. and it just, I'm so incredibly pleased with that. And so then I've, you know, taken my time touring with that over the last year and a half, almost two years, a couple months here, a couple months there coming back to Japan to do a lot of Japanese activities. But um, I think the key to be able to being able to meet that challenge of not repeating myself is to understand that um, when something's ready to be done, it's ready and not before that. So I knew when I finished Wall of Sound, I'm not steady. I'm not working on a new solo, new record, new studio album for quite some time. Hmm. And that's why I released the live album. And uh, I'm still completely in awe of Wall of Sound as much as you could be in awe of your own work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of that awe comes from performances by other people that I got on there. Yeah. Um, it's just, um, that's, you know, I'm just very, very proud of that record. And um, I know that when I go back into the studio to do the next record, I'm going to have to beat that. And... And frankly, I'm not looking forward to that challenge because um, <laughs> I understand that, that, that's just really it was just really tough. I mean, this whole thing sounds like a cliche, but uh, to me, it's really uh, I really busted my nuts. Well, how do you say that in Australian slang? You know, in, in American, oh. we say we busted, busted yeah. out, busted our ass. You just say, busted yeah, busted, busted our balls. Yeah, that'd be it in Australia. <laughs> that or nuts. It busted, would, they both would. Busted my balls on yeah. that. In American English, when you say bust your balls, it, that's more like when you tease somebody. He was busting my balls because my hair is too curly. Oh, there you go. Yeah, gotcha. So the meaning's different. Busting your ass means working hard on something. Yeah. And busting your balls means teasing somebody or kind of... In, in Australian slang, one thing I can tell you, in Australian slang, always go for the most vulgar epithet, and there you go. It'll be there. And <laughs> that's the one that works? That's the one that works. I like that. I like that. I like that. That's the one that works. So, cool. But yeah. No, look, look, it's been an honor to talk to you, Marty. It truly has been. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've listened to your guitar playing, mate, but it just, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't even know how to start counting on it. But if I've been listening to you since about 1991, you can imagine... How many years that's been, and I'm in my 40s these days, and I was merely a teen back then, but listening to your music, it's a bit of a homecoming, if you know what I'm saying. I've put on 99 Ways to Die or Angry Again, my two favorite Megadeth songs and two of my favorite songs that you appeared on, and then my workout music. I even swim to them. Can you believe that? I've got some swimming headphones. And um, (laughs) so I got that. Well, I appreciate that a lot, man. What city am I going to see you in? Brisbane. I'll be Crowbar in Brisbane, yeah. Yeah, it'd be uh, nice. It's. Uh, I think there's a, mate, there is a lot of people really looking forward to this tour. You must know that, and hopefully the pre-sales have reflected that. Because they definitely have. I think we're like changing the venue in at least one city. So uh, the pre-sales have been really awesome, and we still got months to go. And uh, uh, VIPs are going so fast. But uh, you know, as long as the people are interested in seeing us play, that's the purpose of going down there. So like, we're gonna. You know, if we need to change the venues, we're going to do that. And if we need to add more VIP tickets, we're going to do that, too. So I'm just very flattered by the audition, the Australian response to the shows. And we're going to, you know, make you happy. Mm. Well, I think, I think the last time you were down here, if you, you've probably been here for holidays and other things, but it was 1991. 
on Rust in Peace. I no, I was there in 2010, but that was only for Guitar Clinic. So, uh, uh-huh, there you go. This is my first solo tour of Australia, first time for my whole band. And, um, you know, everybody's, you know, a new place is great because we play the same places all the time. So, mm. a new place, especially a place as cool and as legendary as uh, Australia. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's it's a big deal for musicians and it's also a big deal for japanese musicians you know yes. who rarely in their life go to australia so uh, i'm looking forward to showing them what australia is all about even though i've only been there twice <laughs> <laughs> you can be the guide or the chaperone there you go yeah, you're, be the you're, guy. you're the aussie expert in the bunch yeah no that's right. cool mate yeah well no thanks so much for the conversation for being such a good bloke too and uh Love your music, as you can tell, mate, and plenty of other people do. So please just keep on creating music. And even after this tour, mate, hopefully you can come back again. I hope so. And thank you so much for your support, Andrew. My pleasure, mate. No worries at all. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks, mate. Thanks very much. Okay. Cheers. Thanks. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject was the great, the majestic, the supreme, Marty Friedman, who used to be in Megadeth, and Cocophony. Now going solo. Really appreciate that you've listened.